Jesus says, I am, which is referring back to the fact that he's God, that he's deity, connecting himself with the great I am of the Old Testament. And as we saw in one week, you know, even in Acts, where it refers to the fact that Jesus took him across the Jordan into the, into the promised land. And today people want to say, well, no, that was Joshua they're talking about. No, that was Jesus. Jesus was there. He was guiding. He's always been guiding the sheep on this earth. We, so the way we term it, of course, is with the series is Jesus is. Because he said, I am, so we say he is. Every week we've learned something about the I am statements. And generally, the thing about the I am statements is that they're double. There's a double-sidedness to them because there's like the immediateness of it where you can say something like, I'm the bread of life, which basically, you know, he's using that as a repellent against Satan. Satan saying, oh, you're starving for food because you've been fasting. And he's saying, well, I am the bread of life. You know, I am the one. He has that immediateness, but then we see that the terminology that he uses is also referring to a spiritual one that is say, well, what does bread do? Well, it goes inside of you. It feels you. It, you are what you eat, essentially. And therefore, if you are consuming Christ daily and being a part of Christ constantly, then you're filled with him and the greatness of him and you become closer to him. You become more like him. So all of these statements have something that is incredibly true about them including this next one and the last one, which is his statement, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, before we start reading, I just want to remind everybody that God in the Old Testament, the Yahweh of the Old Testament, he sees Judah, the Jewish people, as if they're his wife. And he is a loyal husband to them. That's the terminology he uses. That's how he describes it. And God keeps working with her, trying to work with her to help her be faithful, but she refuses. The result is that she rejects and she actually openly goes after the other gods, openly goes after other men. Um, nowhere is this clearer than the book of Hosea, which is about Hosea who married a woman who was formerly a prostitute, thinking that she was going to reform, and she didn't. So... This rejection of God, just like with Hosea, when they were driven out of the land, God did not kick them out necessarily. He did in so much as he said, if you don't do these things, you're going to be thrown out of the land. God put parameters in place. But they were thrown out by other nations because of the actions they took. Had the king not tried to double-cross the Assyrians, he never would have caused Aram to go after him, and Israel would have never been scattered. Had they just done the right things, they wouldn't have brought destruction upon themselves. And the whole time, even when, they're, when, the, when the prophets are saying, return to God, return to God, they're taking on pagan practices and false practices and putting false idols in the temple and, and doing all of these things. So we see that they got kicked out of the land around somewhere in the area of 595 B.C. They got kicked out after being there for a little over 500 years, 600 years. But we see that it continued on. In Christ's time, Jesus was sent as the Messiah to the Jews to bring them back. So that not only did they, could they reject God through the Torah, 
but they could see him manifest. Now that they have no excuse. And Isaiah refers to it as a bill of divorcement. God permits it and said, okay, go do what you want to do. But that's the reason why we have what we had in the last 2,000 years, which was what happened. In 70 AD, the Jewish the temple was destroyed and the Jewish people were scattered again and thrown out of their land again. And they just recently came back about 70 years ago. But what did they do? They didn't come back believing. They came back with no faith in Christ, with no faith in the living God. The Judaism of today is not the Judaism of the Old Testament. They bear no resemblance to each other. I mean, there are... You can go to the Akron... Jewish Center up in uh, White Pond Drive. There's several of them around. I worked with the one in White Pond Drive at one point. I sat in on classes. <laughs> they'll tell you what the Old Testament says in Hebrew. They'll start. They'll, they'll say it in Hebrew, you know, like They'll say it, and then they don't even tell you what that means. They say, okay, and now we're going to go over here and look at this other book and get our information from here. They don't even. There, I know. I actually know a kid that can recite the entire book of Exodus from beginning to end in perfect Hebrew. He has no idea what any of the words mean. He can just recite them phonetically, perfect right here. He has no idea. He does not speak Hebrew at all. He has no idea what it means. They're not practicing. They're in unbelief. Therefore, the Judaism of today cannot save you. There's one representation of, of God on earth right now. It's the church. And so it should be a part of our objective to try and bring the Jewish people to Christ. Yeah. We should not do as John Hagee says and leave them alone because they're going to get saved anyways. No. We need to bring them to Christ. Because through Christ is the only way to salvation. That's the only way it works. Yeah. However, what we're going to read here is that God is not done with them. He's never done with them because God is the faithful one. Yeah. They are the ones rejecting him. He is not the one that rejected them. Yeah. I wasn't going to do this, but let's just real quickly, let's go to Hosea 2. Just because I want to show you this. But just, just to show you how serious God is about this. So... Is Hosea is one of the minor prophets. It comes right after Daniel. The second chapter. I'm not going to go through it all. It'd be a tough one to go through too with kids here because there are some choice words in there. But in the second chapter of Hosea, it talks about the fact that she went off and she went off after other Baals, other gods. Ones that she thought were living. She she literally left her faithful husband to go with an unfaithful husband and then sat upon their throne saying, I'm not, a, I'm not, I, I'm a, I'm a wife now. I'm a wife. And they rejected her. They spit upon her. They hated her. First chance they got, what they do? They destroyed it. Jewish people. Every chance they got, they destroyed the Jewish people. But, let's start in the 14th verse just because. Eh, we'll start in the 11th just because I like where the part goes. It says, I will also cause 
all her months to cease, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given to me. She's saying the things that God gave her, the figs, the anointings, the things that are good from God. She literally is even going so far as to say, this is what they gave me. This is what they've done for me. This is what you've done for me. It says, and I will make them a forest, meaning just desolate, it'll be overrun, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. 13, and I will visit upon her the days of Baleen, wherein she burned incense to them, other gods. She decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her back and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and a valley of Accor for a door of hope. And she shall, shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day that she came out of the land of Egypt. You see what he says in 14? He says, because she's doing this, God says, I will bring her out in the desert and I will. Allure is the same word we use for a woo. Woo her. I'll speak comfortably to her. I'll say nice things to her. That's what's happening now. This is going on now. He brought her back to Israel, which was a wilderness when the Jewish people went back there in the 40s. And he's speaking comfortably to them. Go out there to the Middle East. Jordan is a desert. Saudi Arabia is a barren desert. All over the place, barren desert. Go to Israel. It's lush. It's green. It's beautiful. The north, the south, it's beautiful. Why? God is alluring her back. He's making her jealous by his, his kind words to her. That's what the church is, is to make her jealous of what we've got that she used to have, to bring her back. God, when she was unfaithful, God said, but I'm still faithful, and I'm going to bring her back. I'm, but I'm not going to force it. It's going to be, let me let her come to me. That's what the end times are about. That's the type of faithful husband that God is. He said, doesn't matter. I still am in love with her. Judah is mine. She's set apart. She's different from everyone. And the church does not replace Judah. Judah is special to God. The Jewish people are special to God. We have nothing. We don't speak against the Jewish people because they are special to God. Even if right now they're living in sin or they're not going to heaven when they die, that doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan and he is not speaking comfortable, kind words to them, making them wonder what is going on. What is going on right now? How can we get back to where we were? And we're seeing it. I know a couple organizations right now that are seeing Jewish people get saved in droves because they're finally getting jealous enough of what we've had all along to say, how can we go back? How can we go back to the first love? So I just want to make sure that's, in, that's important because some of the things we're going to say today, we're going to go back to John 15. People will try to make the case, oh, they're, they're kicked out. God's replaced them with the church. While we are the only representation on earth, God is not done with Judah. God does not break any promises. Even when we're not faithful, he's still faithful. Amen. Amen. He's still faithful. Amen. So, we're going to start in the first verse, and we're going to read a big chunk. 
of what's here to read. And it says, verse 15, uh, 1 of 15, says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not the fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, and that it may bring forth more fruit. By the way, I want to point out the fact when people talk about how that, you know, having a good life in God. Have you ever seen them purge a, uh, a date tree or an, or an almond tree? They get under that thing and they shake it. And that thing just, and it drops everything down. So that's not, I'm sure that's not a comfortable experience being shaken like that. Three, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now I'm going to point out again, remember this right here is a Jewish man, Jesus, speaking, he is the Jewish Messiah, speaking to a bunch of Jewish men that have been following him, living in a Jewish city, speaking a language of the Jews, talking about Jewish issues. <laughs> and Israel, Judah, is prophetically and all through the Bible referred to as the fig tree, as the vine, as the branches. This is referring to the Jewish people. This is not for us. It's not written to us. It's written to the Jewish people. That doesn't mean we can't learn from it. You can still learn from something that's not written to you. But this isn't written to us. So if anybody tries to take doctrine out of here and say, well, this here, because of this, means that we're doing this. We're no, this was written to Jewish people. He's explain, He's getting ready to explain to the apostles why they're going to go through the stuff they're going to go through. Why it's going to be hard for them. Why the Jewish people are going to persecute them. So this is Jewish problems here. So this is not the church he's talking about. So if anybody tries to claim this, well, this is the church today. It's not really. There are some universal truths in here, such as outside of him we can do nothing. It's true. It's true all times, but that was true of this time too. So, I just want to make sure we, I point that out, because people tr will try and make this something that's not. We have to remember the Jewishness of the scriptures. They're, these are Jewish people. If anybody tells you the Jewish part's not dead, they're wrong. There's, these are Jewish people. We have to try to understand how the Jewish mindset. Three says, and you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. He's talking to you, the disciples. Abide in me, and I in you, as the as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. He's saying, if you cut a branch off from the vine, guess what? It's not going to grow. It's not going to grow anything. It's going to die. The only way you can do it is to stay attached to the branch, to stay attached to the vine. It says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without we, me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gathered them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I'm telling you, that's a prophecy of 70 AD, because Jerusalem burned in 70 AD. And what happened? They didn't accept it. We've seen the book of Acts. First 10 chapters, they're trying to convert the Jewish people. Suddenly, Paul comes along and goes, hey, wait a second. The Gentiles are getting saved, but not a single Jewish person. And they said, well, evidently the Gospels went past. There's one out for the nations. Well, because of that, because of the rejection, they were kicked out of the land again. So, 7, it says, If you abide in me, and in my words abide in you, 
ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. As the example, when all throughout the book of Acts, the apostles were able to call down all kinds of things just on a whim. This was God giving them a special connection to him. When that it made it to the point that when when Peter's shadow crossed over people, they would be healed. So this he's saying again to a certain people for a certain time about this. Eight says, Herein is my father glorified, meaning through what you're about to do, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be in my, my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his loves. Now, some people will point out that he talks about, you know, that he's saying that I love you, and, but, but you have to keep my commandments. The thing is, we're going to see what his commandments are. In a second, it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might be, remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. So when he says, follow my commandments is the only way to do it, yeah, because what is his commandment? Love each other. He's not telling them, make sure you do this, make sure you said, well, you follow my commandments the only way you can be one of my disciples. And he says, this is the commandment, love each other. <laughs> He didn't say slaughter. He didn't say anything else. He said love each other. <laughs> 13. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knows not what the Lord does, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. John states at the end of the, book of John, of the Gospel of John, that Jesus said and did so many things if they tried to write it down you would never there would not be enough books or not be enough paper in the world to write it so Jesus was constant there he left nothing hidden from his disciples he told them everything but the human mind is finite it has a limited capacity it can only handle so much and so they didn't they couldn't get it but the things they did get they wrote down for us and this is one of them He's saying, I gave, I hid nothing from you. I showed you everything. 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. And this is not Calvinism. This is him saying, I chose you 12 disciples. <laughs> Out of all the people, there were, I guarantee you there were much, there were people who were much better prepared to be disciples than the 12 he picked. But he picked the 12 he picked for a reason. Because they had the mentalities, the thought process, they were prepared for a moment such as this. He didn't need theologians. He needed workers. So he picked those. He said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Again, that the fruit may remain. That's the church that they left behind. They may have died, but their legacy lasted on. It's about a legacy beyond you? Are you doing something beyond you? 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. So evidently this love thing is pretty important because he keeps saying it over and over again. 18. Here's the important part. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. 
But because you are not of this world, but have I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, if, yeah, if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So again, he's saying establishing the church. But there's another universal truth in there. If the world loves you, God's probably not all that happy with you. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> we have preachers today that the world likes them a lot. Some preachers the world doesn't like so much. You might want to consider whose side you're on. Because, as I said, the world loves its own. The world doesn't love the things of God. 21 says, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. He's saying they're going to tell them, persecution, so we know at least 10 of the 12 disciples faced grisly deaths because of it. Why? Because they weren't of the world. They were gods. And you're gods, and the world isn't going to like you very much. So, we see here, though, that what's he doing? He's saying, you guys are of the branch. He's saying, you disciples are of the branch, of the, of the original vine. But if the vine doesn't pay attention, God's going to prune it. God's going to cut it off. The bad things are going to be cut off, because God is the, the husbandman, which means the one who tends the farm. God is going to cut it off, anything that's not. But things that are, he's going to keep around. The pruning process can be a, a painful process. And this and this is a great terminology because even in Psalm 80, verse 8, it, says, it refers to the fact that it says God brought out a vine from Egypt and transplanted it in the desert, and it grew. So even, you know, it's talking about the fact that God was able to upend an entire vine and put it down and it still is able to grow now we're going to go back to the first verse and of 15 and it says i am the true vine and my father is the husbandman that true vine as we've learned last week aletheia is true it's not amen true which means a solidness something that you could stand on aletheia means true as in reality. This is the reality of the situation. Well, I guess technically it's not a lathe, it's a lathean, which is an adjective. But you don't need to know that. So from last week, yeah, we found out that it means reality or the ideal situation. The ideal, what, as in the perfect reality, what something really, truly is. Not what we perceive it to be, but what it truly is. Therefore, God is saying, I am, the, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Vine, which symbolically is always referred, in some way or another, is referring to a grouping of people, a nation, usually Israel. In Revelation, it refers to the church when they go apostate. We see that Christ is saying he is the true vine. In reality, throughout all time, Israel was always attached to him, but they didn't want to be, so they became worthless, and so they need to be cut off. Anything that is worthless will kill the tree. 
Anything that's worthless, anything that's not growing fruit, will kill the tree. It must be cut off. We're going to go to Romans 11. Just be good, because we're going to continue with this to see where our analogies take us with this. And why that chapter, why I had to, why I spent so much time putting forward that Christ is not done, God is not done with Israel. Because when you read this part, you're going to say, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. It doesn't sound the same. Romans 11, and we're going to start in the 11th verse. It says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall God forbid, he's talking about Israel and the fact that they're not, the gospel has gone past them, it's now in the Gentiles' hands. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. As I had said, it's to provoke them to jealousy. It's so that they can see what we have that they don't have and say, well, we had that. Why don't we have it now? 12 says, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my own office. He's saying, by lifting you guys up, I'm lifting myself up. Paul's basically saying, 14. If by any means I may provoke to emulation, to, you know, to simulate, to be similar, that which are my flesh and might save some of them. Paul is saying, he, again, he's speaking so openly about the promises leaving Israel and, and leaving the Jewish people and coming to the Gentiles because he wants to provoke them to see why. He's trying, just maybe I could save some of them. 15. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, remember the root is God, is Jesus, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So he's saying you can't if you can't say, well, we're now in replace of the original branches of Israel. We're more important than they are. You can do nothing without Christ. They can do nothing without Christ. You can't boast against Israel. Why? Because we hang on Christ. We don't hang on ourselves. We're not lifted up because of ourselves. They say you can't boast against the other branches. One branch can say to another branch, well, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. None of them will exist without the original root. Yeah. None of them. So there is no boasting about that. And that's why it could be nothing we could do. That's why faith has to be without anything we can do. That way we can't say it was something we achieved. For then you would have a reason to boast. You'd have no reason to boast. 19 does say, Thou will say then, the branches were broken off, 
that I might be grafted in. Sure. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And now stands by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. If God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise thou shalt be cut off. The church is not guaranteed to grow. Be nice if it grew, it's not guaranteed to grow. What does it rely on? It relies on us being faithful to God. Mm -hmm. One of the things he says is not to boast against the original branches. We're supposed to be trying to convert them, trying to be nice to them. We must labor to continue in the connection that we've achieved with the root. We were a wild branch that was grafted in, but becomes a part of it. Therefore, we need to continue in that. God is faithful to Judah. He's faithful in us as long as we continue to create that legacy that's going to continue on for us. It's not as though if you don't continue, you're not going to be saved. You might be saved because you believe in your saved. But we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about being in a free environment like we are today where we can worship in a community of believers around people who, who know and love each other and do it freely without the government stopping us. And some of us might be what's called misanthropic, meaning you don't necessarily like people very much. Doesn't matter. You don't like other people. What about your children? What about your grandchildren? Cousins. How will your great-grandchildren find a decent God-fearing person to marry and keep on perpetuating this thing we call the body of Christ if you are not living it out so that the body stays alive? Because God will not hesitate to cut off the branches that are fruitless. Therefore, if you don't like other people, do it for your family, do it for your friends, do it for your children, because God is a husbandman. He didn't spare the original branches. What? Why would he spare us? We need to continue on building the church. It's not that oh, the church is here now. No, it needs to continue. John 15, 15. And it says... Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of the Father I have made known unto you. You, uh, you. you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. We are to receive Jesus in all the fullness. We, have to t- we can't take what we like about him and reject what we don't like about him. There are going to be things that are hard to swallow. There are things that I have to preach out of this Bible that I'm not happy about preaching. <laughs> I'm not necessarily happy to preach everything in here, but it's in here, so it needs to be said. And it's not my it's not up to me to decide 
what God thought was important enough to be preached and what God thought was important for people. I am to preach the entire Bible. And the reason why we need to remain in God and remain and continue is because there needs to be a constant line of communication and a constant communion with God. See, the first real act of prayer is communing with God. Getting into a point where you're in touch with God. And communion works a much, much better when you're prayerfully considering what God has done for you. Not what he'll do for you, what he's done for you. You're not praying enough, it's because you're not communing with God enough. And a prayerless life will be a life without Christ working in it. And on those branches that do not consistently bring forth fruit, God will cut them off. So we are to stay fully invested in all the aspects. Don't just claim the good parts of the Bible. Don't just claim the parts that say, oh, I'm going to give you wealth or I'm going to do this. You got to claim all of it, including the tears, including the sad parts. All of it is given to you. It's the fullness. It's the complete fullness. The ultimate result of the communion with Christ is a union of your soul with the Holy Spirit. That he can work in you. The more you abide in Christ, then it is a constant infusion and gaining of the energy that the Spirit gives you through the fruits of the Spirit. Just as the plant gives chlorophyll to the branches that they can flower, but if they're dead, they will, they will drain chlorophyll and kill the entire plant. Those which are dead in the church, God will cut them off so that they don't kill the whole church. So we need to continue to bring in that sap, that, that the power of God, of Christ in our lives and a constant communing with God. Romans 11, he says, if God didn't spare the ones that were natural, why would he spare the ones that are wild? That's a very important point. Because he didn't spare the natural ones. Why? Because they were not in communion with him. They rejected him. It wasn't enough to say one time, yeah, I got it. Good. That might be good for you. But what about the legacy? God said to the disciples, I want to give this to you, but I want that it be that it remains. Not for a short time, that it remains. The only way your legacy can remain. You, if most people, you live, you die, 100 years from now, people won't have any idea you ever lived. Unless your children, grandchildren, people you knew. If you didn't have children, people you worked with, you helped to grow, you helped to mature in one way or another with God, get saved, they will be the offspring, the fruit. And in years to come, people will remember you through the fruit that you gave to the world through your testimony. There are people in eastern Kentucky... They spoke poor, terrible English in 1863 that to this day people talk about him. Why? Because he left a legacy that included children and they spread out across the country. His namesake is all across the country now. 
I went ahead and looked it up. In 1820, there were exactly 150 people with the last name Cornette in the United States of America. And they, uh, they were connected to 15 different family groups. However, they all go back to the same place in England, so <laughs> probably all family. Today, Cornette is all across the country. I met a Cornette in Arizona that, sure enough, tracking it back, related to the same group. And he still talks about great-grandpappy. Why? He left a legacy. He grew the church through the legacy he left. He's not cut off. Did he do anything in particularly special in his lifetime? Not really. He was a farmer. He was a farmer in eastern Kentucky. But he left a legacy. See, that's what God wants. He wants that your fruit to remain. Remember, we have a term, and I've used it before, a perfect circle. A perfect circle refers to the fact that a circle starts and it goes around and it connects where it started so that it's continuous. It doesn't mean it's perfectly formed. It means that where it starts is where it ended. That way it's a continuous, perfect circle. It's complete. If you see the word perfect in the King James Bible, it does not, nobody writing this Bible when they use the word perfect thought it meant to be without sin, thought it meant to not have any problems, thought it meant to be, they never, that never entered their mind. But perfect didn't mean what we think perfect means. Perfect means complete. We know that because in Matthew 5, Jesus says, be perfect as God is perfect. What are you talking about? He's saying God is complete. And he's talking about the fact that God in heaven is complete. Because we don't understand the Trinity well, but one thing we do know is though there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, each one is completely and wholly God by themselves. But the three of them together are perfectly and wholly God together. How does that work? We can't really understand, but we can get a vision of it. We can get a vision of it through marriage. Because marriage, says Paul says, he says to be a perfect person when you enter into the marriage. He's not saying be perfect. He's saying be complete. You can't be 50% of a marriage. You can't be 50% of a person in a marriage. Ask anybody who's been in a bad marriage. That's probably the reason why. You need to be 100% in the marriage. And your 100% and their 100% is going to equal what? 100%. How does that work? Because it's an image of Christ. It's an image of God. It's an image of the Godhead. Marriage is how that works. You can't be a broken and half individual and get into a relationship with another half individual and complete each other in some sort of Disney princess style concept. We are to be complete people when we enter. And by entering in complete already in God, how can you be complete? Because you have the Holy Spirit. You're complete. If you're complete and they're complete, you come together and you make one whole couple, one whole union, a communion. We're to commune with the Spirit. Not that we can do anything of ourselves, but that we want to make ourselves more like Him. More like Him. Why? Because we can only live through the nourishment that we get from the true vine. The true vine has that nourishment we need every day of our lives. The only way we can do that, prayer, communion, 
So my challenge for us is to be in constant communion with Jesus this week. This is a challenge to me because I am well known for waking up in the morning and feeling like dirt and being a little cranky and wanting to just go sit in a corner by myself for an hour while I finish waking up. And then by the time I'm awake, I forget all about praying. I forget all about God. And I get deep into my work. And next thing I know, I'm going, oh, I didn't pray. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't. Well, I'll have to do it tonight at midnight. I'll have to do it after I get everything else done. What if I woke up and instead of, even though I felt like dirt, I said, you know what? I am going to take it on myself to commune with God in that hour before I get my day started. What if I did my part and just read a verse before I got my day started? What if I, and I'm not saying anyone in here even needs to do this. I don't know what your personal lives are like. I'm sure there's a few people in here who read their Bible well. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> not in the morning. If you commune with him early, then you can commune with him often. And then you can commune with him constantly. And the more he fills you, the more like him you will become every day. And maybe after we do this for a week, we will understand what he meant when he said it is only being in him that we can partake of the fullness of what he is offering us. So my challenge, commune with Jesus through the Holy Spirit this week. And come back next week and I want to hear how your week was. If I'm doing something, pat me on the back and tell me how your week was. I'm interested. I want to know these things. I like to, I like to learn about people. Tell me next week, but go commune with God every day. It's the only way to make it and leave a lasting legacy. It's about our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for people that come out. Thank you for this book that even the parts that are difficult, they all have endless meaning. May we each continue to grow and live in you, that we may live lives full of abundance and purpose that means something. May you continue to watch these people, continue to help them grow, that they can become mature, and they can bring forth the fruit that remains. Help us to leave a lasting legacy that means something for your kingdom. I ask that you will watch over everyone and keep us in your hand. And all these things we ask in your name. Amen.